a little bit different Sunday than we've ever done before and probably will ever do again. So don't email me if you don't like today because um, we're probably not going to do it again. But uh, we're finishing our series on generations. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do two things today. We're going to talk. Uh, we're going to bring some staff up. We're going to do two songs. Normally do four at the front. We're going to take that time and we're going to hear from some of the staff that have made transitions or are going to be making transitions here um, that have been here for a long time. And then I'm going to introduce to you a couple of new faces, uh, new staff faces and their families today and what they're going to be doing. And then I'm going to come up, I'm going to preach for just a little bit. And at the end, I'm going to cast vision for where we're going as a church together right now in the days to come. Now, before we get started, let me say a couple things. Number one, Every pastor that you hear from today, every leader you hear from today, they're not leaving our church. Um, they're simply just making a transition. They're not leaving staff. They're just making a transition on staff. Um, and also that their transition was 100% their decision. Every one of these, it was their call. They came to me, said, Pastor, I want to do this. Here's the other thing. All these decisions were not made in a vacuum, uh, but they were made uh, in conjunction with me, the team, and then our personnel team which uh, oversees a lot of our um, personnel decisions. They were vetted, interviewed, voted on unanimously by the personnel team. So we're gonna be talking about three quick transitions before I jump in to preach. First is Pastor Chuck Snyder. Now, if you don't know who Chuck is, Pastor Chuck has served for 35 years as the executive pastor of Saysmont Church. Um, love Chuck Snyder. He is he's one of my closest friends, an amazing man of God. He started here um, overseeing what was called the bus ministry. And, but uh, he would get a big old bus and he would drive around different parts of the city and they would pick up kids and bring them to church. And uh, you're gonna hear something cool about that ministry in a second. But served 35 years as the executive pastor. Now, when I got here, um, there were 13 pastors and leaders in ministries reporting to Chuck Snyder alone. That's a lot of reports. And when I got here, literally one of the first decisions I made was I made Chuck the senior executive pastor and I created five executive pastors underneath him. So uh, all the executive pastors reported to Chuck. Chuck oversaw those five pastors and then every ministry in the church reported to those five executive pastors, okay? And so um, <coughs> Chuck, um, after that, he's been doing that for about a year and a half and about, I don't know, several months ago, Pastor Chuck came to me and said, Matt, I, I think I'm ready to retire. And I looked at him and I said, Chuck, there's no way in Sheol I'm letting you retire right now. Um, and you're not leaving me here alone, brother. And um, he said, okay, he kept doing his job. And then he came back a few months later and he said, man, I, you know, I, I really want to do this. And I said, man, let's come up with some kind of compromise or something. And so uh, Chuck is going to be transitioning, still going to be full-time for a season. He'll tell more about it in a second. He's going to be transitioning into a role. We don't have the exact title yet, but we're, I'll call it Pastor of Leadership Development. Um, he's going to do a couple things. He'll be full-time. He's going to still serve on that executive level team, um, kind of as wise counsel to us, be pastor to pastors. And he's going to serve the body as someone that engages with lay leaders and raising up leadership in Sagemont with all the wisdom he has from all his years. Now, I'm actually going to be breaking down, we are going to be breaking down Chuck's position of senior executive pastor into two positions. There's going to be senior executive pastor of operations, and that's the pastor Matt Kirk's going to oversee all the operation of the church, the physical facility, all the finances, and all the teams that go underneath that report to Matt. And then the guy I'm about to introduce to you is named Kevin Henson. He's going to be senior pastor, of, senior executive pastor of ministries um, in our church. And so every ministry-oriented, not physical facility or finances, but ministry-oriented team is going to report to Kevin, okay? And so he, uh, let me tell you a little bit about Kevin, give you a little bit of his resume. Uh, Kevin served as a singles pastor at Second Baptist Church with uh, Ed Young Sr. there for several years. And he got his Master's of Divinity from Asbury Seminary. He served as the executive pastor of Woods Edge Church up in the Woodlands, Texas, large church in the Woodlands for a long time. And uh, most recently, he's been serving as uh, executive level team at Compassion International, as head of church relations there at Compassion. And most importantly, out of anything on his resume, he's an Aggie, right? <laughs> exactly, which is, uh, which is a prerequisite now to be on staff at, at, at Sagemont. And um, Kevin's a godly man. He's great, great, great family. His wife's amazing. She was very instrumental 
tell that story sometime of me uh, being in the ministry. He's a strategic, a brilliant strategic leader, uh, and we're super excited to have him. And so I want to bring those two guys out. Would y'all give them a hand real quick? We're just going to ask, what we're going to do is we're going to just ask them to answer one question, and then we're going to pray for them, and then we'll bring up the next group. Chuck, here's your, you got it? All right. All right, Chuck Snyder, how long have you been in the ministry total? 37 years total in the ministry. So I I hadn't hit puberty yet when you got in the ministry. That's. Have you yet? Yeah, I have. (laughs) It's last year. Um, Man, Chuck, why don't you tell us, like, what got you to this place? Tell us a little bit of the story about what, what brought you here. Pastor, um, seven, eight years ago, when I was contemplating what the Lord would have me to do, he spoke in a very specific way. You're staying right here. I'm going to use you uh, to affect a good transition at Sagemont. And so when the personnel team asked me to be the interim senior pastor, uh, it didn't surprise me. The Lord had already spoken to me, and, and I, I desired that we would see a great transition in a new um, era in Sagemont life. And so when you came to Sagemont, I was ecstatic, and uh, I was ready to transition. I had talked to Maureen about that when I was 65. I said, Maureen, I'm, I'm looking at, at transitioning, and I said, the outside is 70, the outs, absolute outside. And so when you got here, I thought the transition was over, and early on, first month or so, I came to you and said, Pastor, I will transition whenever you want to. And you told me exactly what you told the church, that ain't happening, yeah. that the transition's just starting, and that you're not transitioning. I said, well, well Pastor, I'm, I'm at that time 66, I'm ready. And uh, you said, we're not talking about that. And, and so recently I just turned 68, and, and as you know, a few months ago I came back to you and said, Pastor, I'm, I'm real serious about looking at transitioning. And, and, and you said, we're not talking about that. I said, Pastor, at 70, I'm landing the plane with yeah, or without yeah, yeah. you. We're going to land the airplane. Yeah. And, uh, and he said, at that point, we'll talk about maybe some other role. But, but uh, Pastor, I've known for a while that, that the transition was, was part of it, and I've looked forward to it. And a thing I would want to convey to friends who sometimes um, read the tea leaves wrong, this was my idea, and it has been my idea for several years, and I finally gotten you to the place where at 70, it's going to happen. Chuck, what are, what are you excited about, just the future of Sagemont? What are you seeing? What are you looking forward to? Pastor, I'm excited to have been a part of a, 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 an unbelievable church. Sagemont's not just been a church that has been a blessing to its members. It's been a church that has set the bar for churches around the country. Through John Morgan, through Debt Freedom, uh, we were a paradigm-impacting churches. We got debt-free, but we led literally hundreds of churches around the country to get debt-free. So we're a paradigm-impacting church. And and, uh, knowing you and knowing your vision and not spilling the beans, uh, I know where we're going. And I'm doubly excited because we will continue to be a paradigm-impacting church, not just a blessing to the Sagemont members and to the community, but to the world. There's 6,000 unreached people groups, and uh, we're going to set the bars to how to do that. I'm pretty excited about that. Amen. Chuck, I just want to say on behalf of a thankful church, thank you for your service to Sagemont Church. We love you so much. Kevin Henson. So I've known Kevin and his wife Carrie for a long, long time. And, and um, Kevin, I, you know, I, I think you had maybe the coolest job in America. He was head of church relations at Compassion. His job was to engage with pastors and churches throughout the country. And a lot of times, he spent a lot, a lot of time taking pastors on hunting and fishing trips around the country, That's trying right. to talk them in and engage with Compassion, which I would quit this job right now <laughs> if I got to do that. I'm joking, but uh, sort of. And, um, <laughs> and uh, but anyway, man, talk a little about, I called you, and, um, and then we got real, you know, a couple of years ago I said, hey, I'm going to Sagemont, but then a couple, you know, almost two years later, we started talking real seriously about you transitioning to the senior executive pastor. Man, why leave one of the coolest jobs in America to come be a part of Sagemont Church? Yeah, thanks, Matt. It was a great job. Compassion, great organization, great ministry, and it was a great job. And even when I came on staff at Compassion, I knew I would end up in the local church. I got called to ministry over 30 years ago when I went on staff at Second Baptist and 
God put it on my heart to be a pastor. And uh, I was serving in Compassion, been there for seven years, and I knew that I'd end up back in a local church. So when you called a few years ago and said, hey, I'm making this transition, and the timing wasn't right, you know, with Chuck still doing what he's doing, and, and, but we began praying. You know, we began earnestly seeking God, is, is this it? You know, I mean, I knew I'd be back in the church at some point. Is this the timing? Is this the place? And I tell you what, I snuck down here one Sunday when you started and, and kind of snuck in, and, and uh, from the parking lot ministry, the guys in the parking lot directing guests in, to the greeters at the front door, to the aisle hosts that kind of helped me sit down. Everyone was extremely friendly, loving, big smiles on their face. One of the first persons I met coming in was Wes Holloman. You know, and Wes just, exactly right, he just exudes this friendliness and love. And, and I mentioned, said, hey, Matt and I are old friends. He said, oh, well, let me you know, walk you down, introduce you to Matt. And, and so it was, it was just, it was evident here that there was this love and friendliness part of this congregation. And, and so just as we begin praying and as the timing began looking like maybe it's coming up, um, you know, we just really sense in our heart that this is the time. And not only that, but this is the place. Yeah. And we just sensed a great sense on uh, calling our heart to, to, to move here and to be part of this congregation, this body. And, and like Chuck said, we're just thrilled and excited about what Sagemont has been and what it has done over the decades, but just what the future is going to be here. And we're just thrilled to be a part of it. And Look forward to introducing my, my family here in just a minute, but we're just thrilled to, to come and be a part of that and jump right back into ministry. I'm excited. Yeah, everywhere Kevin has gone and led, it's exploded. And so we're excited to have him. Let's bring your family up, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for Chuck, and then, and then Chuck is going to pray for you and your family. You have a beautiful family, so let's, uh, let's do that. Let's get them up here. Carrie, uh, I knew Carrie years ago when she introduced me to the guy that hired me in the Woodlands, which is when I fell in love with the city of Houston. So in many ways, she is one of the reasons that I'm standing here on this stage today. So Chuck, um, I want to pray for you and uh, just join me in that. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this man that has served you faithfully for 37 years. Lord, I thank you that he is finishing well, that he and Maureen together are finishing well. But Lord, I thank you that he's not finished. And Lord, I pray that you would use him in ways that he's not even thinking about in the years to come. That I pray you'd bless him in ways that he's not expecting in the years to come. And it would be a part of Sagemont, but that his ministry and the ripples of his ministry would go way beyond that to the nations. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, we pause and we acknowledge that unless the Lord build the house, we labor in vain. We are incredibly grateful for a rich history where you've used our church uh, to impact the nation. And Father, I personally am very um, excited about what the future holds. And I'm excited that you've led Kevin and Carrie here and their family. Uh, Father, I've gotten to know him as a friend and as a brother, and I just marvel at his wisdom and at his experience. And Father, he's going to be such a blessing at Sagemont, but we know that we must rest in you. And we ask that your spirit would continue to tabernacle with us. And we ask, Father, that we, that we are used of you to your good and glory going into the future great things you have done and are continuing to doing at Sagemont. And we are so humbly great to you for that truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, guys. Let me introduce, I just want to introduce my wife, Carrie, right here. My lovely wife, Carrie, my son, Luke, a senior in high school, and we have a daughter who's a sophomore at A&M. Couldn't be here today, so. Yeah, all right. Thank you, brother. All right, well, this next couple people I want to bring out, you, you know these folks, uh, love them both. It's Bill Cole and Chris Collins. Let me explain a little bit about this. Bill Cole is not transitioning into a new role, but he's going to be transitioning to the role that he had before I got here. Now, when I got here, I asked Bill to not only lead worship, both in both services, but that he would serve as one of those executive pastors over the worship area that reported to Chuck. Now, that's a big position um, not only do they you know, oversee all of our different worship teams, but the executive pastor position oversees uh, Sunday mornings, all church events, uh, and on top of that, our production teams, our sound teams, our television ministry, and our communications department, which is a huge department. It's a huge job, and Bill reluctantly agreed. He said he would, and so after he had done the job for about a year and a few months, Bill desired to transition back into the role of just being a pastor, worship leader here. He's going to continue to do that in both services. 
and going to be leading every week like he's always done. But a few months ago, we brought in a guy named Chris Collins to be that executive pastor over our worship ministries. I've known Chris since he was a teenager. Um, I actually led him to the Lord when he was about 15 years old. And uh, he left uh, Bryan College Station and went in, uh, from A&M, of course, and uh, went and served in the Woodlands as a youth pastor. And then he was a worship leader for several years. In the last decade, he served with me at my former church as the executive pastor of our worship ministries. Um, doing that job at the Austin Sun was a monumental task. We had six campuses around the city of Austin. So imagine everything it takes to make sure Sunday happens here at this church, which is a lot, and multiply it times six. And on top of all the production teams, sound teams, video teams, and communications teams, he oversaw all of that, and they built a ministry that's one of the most effective ministries I've ever seen. They had an international impact, and I still can't believe that the Lord blessed us by calling him here to Sagemont. So let's, let's give these guys a hand as they come up today. Bill, you're going a little slower than you normally, man. You're getting old, brother. Um, I'm joking, man. Best looking guy at Saysmont Church right here. Amen. Amen. People wanted to clap, but it felt weird, you know. And so, (laughs) Bill, man, I have loved your heart from day one. Um, He knew Austin Stone worship, you know, and very contemporary and knew that it was making a difference in the world. And he literally walked in the first time we met and he said, Pastor, I figure you're gonna want me to resign. And I said, no way you're resigning, bro. I love your heart. I want you to be a part of this. And we've become friends and you're such a man of God. I love being here with you. It's really been one of the, I'm not not joking, it's one of the joys of being here. So, but tell us a little bit about what you're excited about the future of Sage Mike. Well, I was so nervous in that meeting. I mean, really, but... Uh, you've been such a gift for these past two years. And I, I'm, I'm going to say it a little different in this service. So in the last service, some of those folks, they're like, are you okay? I'm great. But in this service in particular, I really see this service is sort of the front line of yeah. what we do, at least at this moment. And you all are awesome. Your worship energy is beautiful. And I just pray that God would just continue to grow our team. We have new people. We have some who've been sort of um, repositioned, and they're doing amazing, Misty and Chris and and Jimmy being here. I'm just so thrilled with our team. And your preaching is like, so good. (laughs) (laughs) My goodness. Glad somebody yeah. likes it, man. Yeah. Thank you, God. <laughs> I do, I do, and I read your message. I'm, I have. I'm very privileged that I get to preview, so we can make sure that what we do lines up with what you do. And folks, get ready. This is an amazing message. Get ready. But I'm just. I'm really excited about our team. Excited about this service in particular, and I'm excited about Chris being here yeah. because, uh, like you said. Um, I love leading worship. It's just what I want to do. Um, I have been here a long time. <laughs> I'm trying not to get fat and ugly. But <laughs> Chris is such a cut above. He is a godly leader. He has wisdom and he sees things that are not as though they are. Yeah. And he inspires us to want to try to you know, help him create that. So I'm great, grateful to work with you and for you. And I, like I said, I, folks, I'm doing awesome here. This is wonderful. I love this team, and I love you, you all both so much. Amen, amen. Well, Chris, you, um, yeah, y'all clap for us. Love you, buddy. So as you get to know Chris, you're gonna realize about this, he's, he's one of the most humble men I've ever known. So proud of him, but um, Chris is known a, a, around the country at one of the best in the country at this position. He is next level, and I'm still sort of in awe that you would choose and your family to come be a part of what God's doing at Sage. Mom, man, give us real quick, just what, what, how in the world do you leave what God was doing through you guys to come be a part of what we're doing here? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, well, about a year and a half ago, uh, my wife and I, we um, kind of went through a season of holy discontentedness. I mean, the team that I was a part of... Um, it really was a team effort. 
Um, it was beautiful, amazing artists. Um, and we did. We, I mean, it seemed like every week we got to see God move in a very tangible, um, palpable way. Um, and so I ran into this, this moment, we, and my wife and I both, where we just weren't feeling like it was home anymore, which you, you don't get taught what to do when you feel that way. So we had a little freak-out session on my behalf, and I married a godly wife, uh, thank the Lord. So she's like, maybe we should pray about it. Yeah, let's do that. Um, <laughs> Stop freaking out, Chris. Let's pray. So just started praying, and it was about a, about a year and a half of toiling with God, wrestling with God of, I love this place. I love this church. I still have blessed <coughs> friends there. Um, God, what are you doing? What are you up to? And I came, talked with you just as a mentor, brother, for a very more than half my life now, um, just trying to figure out what's going on. And... Um, in that process came and visited, sat right there on that front row with my wife. And um, guys, I just felt like the spirit of God fell in this place. We both sat there and wept through most of both of the services. You're preaching, I mean, grown up uh, hearing you preach, but um, there was just something different. Like Kevin said, from the from the parking lot to our seat, uh, from security guard to just people that realized we were a new face and would come up. It's such a welcoming, loving place to be. And we left that morning and we were like, Sage Mont's our new home, I hope, (laughs) if they'll take us. Um, And so, um, you know, in in Luke 9, Jesus is, is teaching a crowd and he says, if you want to be my follower then you have to put your way to the side and you have to pick up your cross and follow me daily. And so it really was about, man, I wanted to cling on to all the good things that was at my last church. And he was saying, I've got something for you. I'm not gonna tell you what it is, but I have something for you that the, the previous years will pale in comparison to what's coming. And so I'm just so excited We're about so being excited here. We're so excited to have yeah. you. Adrian, why don't you come on up? And I would love to pray for your sweet family. We've gotten to know them over the last couple months, and they are amazing. And so um, I'm going to pray for you, Bill, and Bill, I'd love for you to pray for Chris and his family as they transition into this new role. His kids are amazing. They lived at my house for a month while their house was getting ready. It was a little Ollie. We went fishing, caught some fish. Some good stuff. And Ollie's so, our little hurricane. Yeah, would you introduce everybody? Yeah, quick, so, so this is uh, our fourth kiddo, Ollie, um, our firstborn son, Reese, Caitlin, my, I got a girl, I got my daughter, <laughs> uh, Gavin, our middle son, and then this is my lovely wife, Adrian. Adrian. Amazing family. Bill, love to pray for you, man. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this man and his heart. I thank you that he has set a culture here that you are. Uh, using and that you will continue to use. I thank you that he is such an amazing man of God. I thank you for his dear wife and family. And God, I just pray, I wanna ask something specific, that you would bless his socks off in the days and years to come as he sees Sagemont Church grow and flourish into a church that worships the name of Jesus Christ with everything they've got. And I ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God, I just do lift up Chris and Adrian and... This dear family to you, God, I pray that as they join this amazing church, I love Sagemont so much that, God, they would grow up to just go to so many places and parts that these children would serve you well. And I pray for Chris's ministry here, God, that you would put your hand on him, a mantle on him to take our worship to places we've never been before. God, use him, anoint him, bless him. Thank you so much for this great and beautiful family. God, I just pray you protect them. And just show them your tender mercies every day, God. You are so good, and we worship you today and glory in you. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Y'all give them a hand. All right. This last group I'm bringing out, um, you you should know them. Um, One of the transitions we have talked about, and one of them um, we haven't. I'm super excited, but uh, the first transition is uh, Wes... Wes Holloman. Where are you, Wes? Where are you, brother? There he is. Hey, everybody give Wes a hand. <clears throat> Man, when I got here, Wes Holloman ran this whole church, pretty much. I mean, he was, 
He did everything, and, and Wes is, gosh, he's such an incredible man. If you know him, you know what I mean. But um, Wes, when I got here, there was two couple of areas that you were overseeing as you came on that executive pastor team. Um, you ever saw iConnect ministry and discipleship. iConnect, if you're new, that's kind of our Sunday school model, our medium-sized group where you can come, find community, all that. So you oversaw all that, which we have a hundred and something classes. That right there was more than any one human being ought to be doing. But then you oversaw all discipleship. And on top of that, you oversaw students ministry and, and children's ministry and all family ministries, college. So you were doing the work of five people right? Eight, eight people. And, um, and so Wes is amazing. Anything you ask, he does it. He does it with excellence. But I came to you, I was like, man, that is way too much for any one human being to do. So I said, man, why don't you pick one area that you would like to come and be a part of and be an executive pastor over? And Wes has prayed about it with his family and, and his wife and feels like the Lord is leading you to be our executive pastor over family ministries, which is students, um, college and children's, and we're so glad that you are. But let me ask you this, man. So, um, <clears throat> you know, some people might say that, that that's a demotion maybe, which is not, but they might say that's an emotion going from discipleship to children's. Tell us why that's not a demotion. Sure. You know, there are three, three things, three reasons why I believe that. The first is this, is that Matthew 18 specifically says that the little children are the greatest in the kingdom of God. And so how cool is it uh, that I'm able to work with a team of people along with volunteers uh, to really do that right. and be a part of that, which is really, really cool. Then the second thing is this, is that uh, two-thirds of people, when they make a decision to follow Christ, do it 18 years or less. That also means that 43% of those make that, that decision 12 years or less. So you can see that for such a time as this, that this is the place That's to right. be. For we take care of our generations that our children, our students, and our college students. And the last is this, is that I know that we have so many people coming to visit here at Sagemont Church and those that are still here, they're looking for a place to find a place for their children, students, and college students to grow and mature in their faith. That's right. I'm telling you, you don't have to look anywhere further. They have found the place right here. It's called Sagemont Church. And I love that, too, because we get to partner with them. And we get to work with the best teams, the student and the college team. We get to work with them to help our families become the primary discipleship makers of their families. And the cool thing is this, I have a 22-year-old all the way down to a 12-year-old, so I'm right there in that mix. So I get to see that not only as a pastor, but also as a dad. So That's those right. are the reasons why you I You got love five kids. You got a basketball team. I do, I, I do. <laughs> Man, I, you know, it doesn't matter how good the worship is, how good the programs are, how good the preaching is. If a family comes um, and their kids don't connect, they're not staying, and so I can't think of anybody better to take over this ministry, but you thank you, man, so much. So, so excited you're here. But that left a pretty big hole, which is uh, I Connect Ministry, Discipleship Ministry, which Jesus kind of had a, a, some important things to say about discipleship, felt it was important. Um, again, I Connect, medium-sized groups, place people study the Bible, get in community. And in the process of looking for someone to fill your sort of executive position there, we thought about maybe going outside of Sagemont, but we remembered somebody and came across somebody that I have loved from day one. I've been impressed with this person from day one, uh, their leadership ability, their ability to build teams, their ability to cast vision, communicate, super impressed from day one. So we presented this person who was interested in the job to the personnel team, team voted unanimously on that. And so I want to introduce to you our next executive minister of iConnect and discipleship, uh, which is Betsy Thompson. So Betsy. Ah. Betsy. Betsy Thompson. Betsy is amazing. And she has served for how many years, Betsy, uh, as our women's minister here? At, at um, eight years this month. She's been this eight month. years yes. as the women's minister yeah. at Sagemont. So I want to go ahead and ask the question that yes. are on all women who've been here for the last eight years. Mine, and that is, what's going to happen to our women's ministry? What's happening to the women's ministry? It is going to continue to thrive. Um, my heart for women's ministry hasn't changed overnight. I love the women of this church. I love what I've gotten the blessing of doing for the last eight years. So that isn't changing. Um, but I also am excited to see who God's going to raise up because I know whenever he moves one person out of something, he's got somebody ready to jump in. Right. And so I'm excited to see who that person's going to be. But I also am not in a rush to just get a warm body in a position. And so we're going to wait and see what God does. And um, eventually down the road, we will um, 
find that next person that loves women's ministry as much or more than I do. So women's ministry is going to be good. Our leadership team is amazing, and our ministries are going to continue to thrive. And yeah, and the good news is that you will be an executive level leader over women's ministry. So you're still going to be there. You're still going to be a part of all that and speaking into that on a daily basis. And so we're glad you're here. Now, listen, again, if you don't know her, she is so sharp and so smart. Everything she does, it succeeds, it grows, and it is done with excellence. And um, we're so excited that you're doing this. I think we're going to go next level. So tell us real quickly here, what's the what's your vision for the future of discipleship here at Sagemont Church? I really want us to be a church that is known for everyone in the church body uh, realizing that they're called to be a disciple, yeah. to be learning, but then at the exact same time to understand that we're also called to be disciple makers, to be discipling someone. We all are in a place where we need to be growing, but we also have this story and things we've walked through that God's brought us through that he has prepared for us to share with other people to encourage them on their walk. And so having that, where that is just, Sagemont's known for that, known for being this place that is loving to learn and to grow continually, but then constantly pouring that right back out. And I think we're right there. I think it's going to be so fun to get to see um, just our people dive into that. Amen. Amen. Well, let's bring your family up here. I'd love to pray for you guys, and then I'll jump in and finish the service today. But we are so excited that you guys are going to be doing this. I guess we'll go behind them. They're coming. Yeah. There's only half of them. I got two at college. Why don't you introduce them? Okay, so this is uh, Madison and Meredith. They're twins. And then my husband, Donald, and then I have one daughter, Ashley, is at UMHB, and then another daughter, Allison, is at Southwest Baptist University awesome. in Missouri. Awesome. So, yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to pray for both you guys. And Lord, I just lift up Wes and Betsy and both of their families. And Lord, I thank you for their years and years of ministry. God, I pray for Wes as he enters into a ministry that was so important to you which is children and students, Lord, and young folks. God, give him wisdom, give him energy, and I pray that those ministries would go to a level that we have not even begun to see in the days to come. And Lord, I pray for Betsy. God, I pray that you would use her so powerfully. And God, I ask you that through her and her team and through us, that what she just said, the vision she just cast would happen, that every single person in this church would not just come here to learn and to be a disciple, but to be a disciple maker wherever you are. Pray you would bless her family and her husband and her girls, Lord, and just you would um, pour out your spirit and blessing on them in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you. Let's give them a hand. <clears throat> Thank you, Betsy. All right. Real quick, I want you to open up your Bibles real fast. Matthew 28, 19. We are gonna jump in today. I'm gonna preach a shorter, shorter message, cast some vision at the end, and we'll be done. Matthew 28. Good things ahead, Sagemont. Here's what I wanna do. I wanna spend the rest of our time casting some vision for the future, what that's gonna look like for you and I as individuals, and at the end, you're gonna cast vision for what I think God is calling us to do as a church. Now, last week, I looked at three churches that Jesus spoke to In the book of Revelation, he actually spoke to seven. I looked at three. We looked at Ephesus, which was a church that was living on mission. They were doing all this great stuff for God, but Jesus said, you've left your first love. It wasn't coming out of an overflow of their love for Jesus. He he spoke to the church in Sardis, and he said that, hey, look, you guys used to be on mission. This was a church that started strong. They had a reputation for being full of life, but something happened along the way. They got off mission. They stopped serving. They stopped sacrificing. And then we had Laodicea. Laodicea was a church that had grown lukewarm. Their worship, their service, their sacrifice, it was just okay. Weren't hot, weren't cold. And Jesus had some strong things to say about that. Now, there were seven churches that Jesus spoke to. We looked at three. But there's one theme that Jesus talked about to every single one of the churches. There's one theme that he talked about on each one. Some of the churches were doing it really well. Some of them weren't. And that was the call that Jesus was placing on every church in the New Testament, including ours, which is to be a church that lives on mission for God. Not to be a country club, not to be a place that you attend, go on with your life, but to be a group of people 
together on mission for the glory of God. You're gonna hear me say that a lot now and days to come, on mission. So let's talk about, what does that mean? <clears throat> Living on mission. Well, Pastor Charles Spurgeon, hero of mine, pastor in the 1800s, he had a quote, I wanna give it to you. He said this, he said, as a Christian, as a Christian, you're either a missionary or an imposter. That's a strong statement. As a Christian, you're either a missionary or an imposter. In other words, there's no such thing as a person that's truly saved but does not have a desire to go out and live a life on mission for the glory of God, all right? That doesn't exist. Now, why would Spurgeon say that? It's a strong statement. The reason he said it is because of what Jesus said to us. The last thing Jesus said to us before he ascended into heaven, there it is, Matthew 28, 19. He said, go, go therefore and make disciples. There it is. Betsy talked about it. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Now, what is Matthew 28, 19, and 20 called? What's that called? It's called the Great Commission. That's right. The Great Commission. Have you ever wondered why, though, they call it the Great Commission? All right. Why is it a commission? Well, I want to give you the definition of commission. Here it is. <clears throat> commission is an instruction, a command, or a duty given to a person or a group of people. It's an instruction, a command, or a duty given to a person or a group of people. So Jesus gave us a commission. Now, everybody look at me. Jesus gave us a commission, a command, a duty, a thing for us to go do. And this commission that he gave us is not just for pastors. It's not just for worship leaders. It's, it's not just for missionaries. But if you are a Christian, it was given to you. If you're a Christian, and the moment that you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were commissioned by Jesus Christ to be a disciple-making missionary wherever God has you in this world. And so for the believer... The believer, the question is not whether or not you've been commissioned. The question is whether or not you are walking and living out the commission you've been given by Jesus. That's the question. So the vision that God's given each one of us as individuals is to be a bunch of individuals that make up a church that are on mission for him. And we're doing it out of an overflow of our love for him. And then when we leave these four walls, or how many ever walls this is, that we go out the door and we actually live out what Jesus commissioned us to do. Okay? Now before any, I go any further, I want to ask you a simple question. If Jesus were speaking personally to you, like he did the seven churches in Ephesus, and he said, like he said to every one of the churches in Ephesus, or excuse me, in the New Testament, from the seven churches in the New Testament, and he said one thing to all the seven churches in the New Testament, he said, I know your works. If Jesus were saying that to you, what would he say? Looked at you as an individual, said, I know your works. Would, would he say that you are living on mission as a disciple-making missionary for the glory of God? And if the, if the honest answer is no, I want you to think about one more question, and that's why. What's keeping you from living out the commission you've been given by your Lord and Savior? Why are you not living it out? Well, I want to give you two quick, two quick reasons why I think people don't get on mission as a believer. I think there's more than two, but here's the two that I think are the most important ones that I see <clears throat> most often. The first one is this, is people aren't willing to make the sacrifice necessary to live on mission. You see, to be, a, to be a person who lives on mission for Jesus requires sacrifice. Requires sacrifice of your time. Requires sacrifice of your finances. It requires sacrifice of your personal preferences, but regardless, it requires sacrifice. And so when people say, all right, I want to do this, but then they look at the, what it's going to cost them to actually live on mission for Jesus, a lot of times people see the sacrifice and they're not willing to do it. With that in mind, I want to I want to read a verse to you. Listen to Paul. He's talking about kind of how he was really willing to give up anything to get on mission. It's 1 Corinthians 9:19. 9, 
Paul says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Why? That I might win more of them. Paul said, I became a servant so I could see most, more people come to Jesus. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Here's what he just said. Paul said, number one, I made myself a servant. I laid myself down. Everything I want, personal preferences, I walked away from all that so that... To the Jewish people, I could become like a Jew. Why? So that I could see more Jews come to Jesus. Now, here's what he was not saying. He was not saying that he was willing to compromise the gospel. He was not saying that he was willing to compromise his integrity or his theology. But what he was saying is that he was willing to do whatever it took. He was willing to make any sacrifice necessary. Why? So that more People could go to heaven when they die. Now, I want to tell you a crazy story about one of Paul's disciples, Timothy, living this out. This might be the craziest story in the whole Bible. Y'all ready for this one? Talk about sacrifice. Here we go. Acts 16.1. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. Watch this. But his father was a Greek. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. Now listen. So Paul was going to go to the Jewish people. He was going to go to the Jewish synagogues to, to preach and to teach and try to reach Jewish people for Jesus. And he wanted Timothy to go with him. But there was a problem. Timothy's dad was Greek, which means that Timothy was not circumcised. Now that's a big deal to Jewish people. There would have been a big hang up for a guy that wasn't circumcised to preach to them. So Paul comes to Timothy and says, hey, brother, we need to talk. Y'all know where this is going? (laughs) Hey, brother, we need to talk. Um, I'd like to take you into the Jewish synagogues and and preach and so we can see all these Jewish folks come to to Christ. But uh, Timothy, there's a problem. Um, Your dad was Greek and and, and, and you're not circumcised. And so uh, I, if they find that out, that you're not circumcised, as a matter of fact, they do. They know your dad was Greek. Um, that's going to be a big deal. And so, Timothy, here's what I need you to do, brother. I, I, I need you to get circumcised. <laughs> Acts 16.3. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him. Because, oh, Yeah. <laughs> Because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was Greek. Guys, did y'all catch what just happened? This is not a little kid. This is not an infant. This is not a teenager. This is a grown man. And so he can be more effective at reaching Jewish peoples for Jesus. He allowed his man part to be cut open. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like a sacrifice to me. Y'all with me? Can I get an amen? Men. There you go. I want you to listen to what happened because Timothy was willing to make that sacrifice. Look at Acts 16.5. So the churches, this is the next verse, churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. People got saved. What if Timothy would have said no? Which might have been what I said. I might have been like, I'm not doing that. I'm not giving that up. I'm not willing to make that sacrifice. What if that would have been him? He's just like, I'm, I'm out. I'm not doing that. He would have missed out on the joy of seeing all those people come to Christ through him. Now, let me ask you just a simple question, guys. Would you be willing to make that kind of sacrifice? So that more people could go to heaven? Most people aren't. I'll never forget something that happened in my first church. Excuse me, I was a youth pastor in this little tiny church in uh, kind of inner city Bryan there by A&M. That's actually where I met Chris Collins and he became a Christian and started with seven kids. It was a tiny church, church of 100 people. and started with seven youth and Collins actually got saved and he started bringing his Bible. Students, he started bringing his Bible to school every day. And this was a kid that everybody knew was not a Christian. And all of a sudden he... He started carrying this bad boy around with him every day. People made fun of him. People picked on him, and he didn't care. And all of a sudden, he started leading 
his friends to Jesus and his friends started leading their friends to Jesus and a, a revival broke out in this little church in Bryan, Texas. And it went from seven, seven kids to 70, which Church of 100 does a lot of kids. And it, most of them is because they became believers. <clears throat> well, we were out of room. Our little youth room was packed and we needed more room so that we could see more kids. And it really was kind of this cool, neat revival thing that was happening there. So what I did is I... I came to a Sunday school class, um, an older Sunday school class that, were, that was in the church. And there was, um, they had been in that uh, Sunday school class, these, these folks had been meeting in this one particular room for 35 years. And the problem was, is that there was only 10 of them that were coming to this Sunday school class and their room was a lot bigger than our room. And so I very respectfully and politely came to them and I said, hey, I I know you guys have been here forever, but would would you be willing, in light of all that God's doing in our student ministry and kids are getting saved left and right and we're out of room, would you be willing to let us move you to a different room? We'll make sure it's nice so that we can have this larger room and and, and so these kids can uh, invite more of their friends and and that sort of thing. Well, y'all know what they said to me? Said, we built this church and we've had this room for 35 years and we're not leaving. I couldn't believe it. I really did. I couldn't believe it. Because I had heard about stuff like that happening in churches, but I thought it was urban legend. Like, I didn't, like, surely that kind of stuff didn't really happen. But it happened. It's not urban legend. And here's the question that I keep coming to is how in the world did we get there? How do we get from 2,000 years ago, <coughs> Timothy saying, I am willing to let my man part be cut open so that people can go to heaven. And then on top of that, you got a couple thousand Christians that are saying, I'm ready to give up my life and die so that more people can come to Christ. How did we get from there to I'm not willing to give up a Sunday school room? so that more people can come to Christ. Guys, I want to tell you something. Into Matthew, it's crystal clear. You are going to stand before Almighty God and give an account for your life, and not just where you stood in your salvation, but you're going to give an account for your life or how you lived on mission. Go read into Matthew. It's crystal clear. And I, I worry what it might be like for folks like that as they give an account to the King of kings and the Lord of lords for how they made that decision. The first hindrance to people living on mission is they simply aren't willing to make the sacrifice that is necessary to live on mission. And really quickly, I want to talk about the second reason. People don't live on mission, and it's this. is These are people, I think more people like this, they're ready to live on mission, they're ready to sacrifice, but they don't think they're qualified. They don't think they're qualified. They're like, Matt, I'm not a pastor. Uh, I've never been to seminary. I'm not very gifted. God can never use me. Or they think they're unqualified because of their past sins or their past failures. Now, if that's you, if you're a person that thinks you're unqualified to be a person that God uses to be on mission and build his kingdom, I want to remind you of a few people that you've probably heard before who probably thought the exact same thing, that they weren't qualified because of past sins, current sins, failures, inadequacies, but God still handpicked them and poured out his power through them. I'll start in the Old Testament. Abraham, he was old, real old. Jacob was a cheater. God still used them both. Noah Dude got drunk. Moses murdered a guy and had a stuttering problem. God used him powerfully. David was an adulterer. Rahab was a prostitute. God used her powerfully. Jonah ran from God like crazy when God called him. Naomi was a widow. God used her. Jacob went bankrupt. John the Baptist, dude, ate bugs. And at the end of his life... Think you're weird. He ate bugs. And at the end of his life, he actually questioned whether Jesus was the Messiah, and Jesus just loved on him, used him all the way to the end of his life. Samaritan woman was divorced five times. Revival broke out through her after she met Jesus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and was hated by his community. Peter denied Christ three times. 
Thomas was a doubter and Lazarus. Y'all remember Lazarus? Y'all remember what Lazarus, Lazarus' problem was? He was dead. <laughs> Y'all get in the picture? All of these people were unqualified. They were normal, everyday people with flaws and failures and sins and inadequacies, and God used every one of them powerfully for his glory. So if you're a believer, if you're a believer, I want you to look at me real quick. Check this out. What qualify, if you're a believer, what qualifies you for ministry is not how good of a person you are or how bad of a person you are. Or what qualifies for ministry is not how gifted you are or not how gifted you are. What qualifies for you, what qualifies you to be uh, on mission for Jesus is the blood of Jesus. If you're a Christian, what qualifies you for ministry is the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, your sin has been forgiven. Your past has been erased. And on top of that, he poured his Holy Spirit inside of you. And so you have the Holy Spirit, the living God inside of you. And so if you're a Christian, you're qualified. And not only are you qualified, but you're commissioned. And then he gave you the Holy Spirit of God, which is the power of the resurrection. I don't care what you think. If you're a Christian, it's inside of you right now. You've been given all the power you need to live on mission for him. And you may not know what that looks like yet. But if we can have a bunch of people in here, they'll raise their hand, realize you're qualified, realize you're commissioned, realize you have the power, and you will raise your hand and say, here I am, Lord, send me. I don't know what it look like, looks like yet, but if you'll send me, I'm gonna tell you guys, it's gonna start getting fun around this place. I'm telling you right now. So the last thing we're gonna do, and talk about what God, I believe, is calling us to do as a church. We'll be done, y'all hang with me. Set this up, quick update on our Envision project, project for student building, and you'll see why this matters in a second. Vision Project is our students building, um, and we have hit a major snag. I don't know if you've noticed, but construction on the Envision Project has stalled. Uh, there's weeds growing out there, and that's not a financial problem. We're actually doing great. We still need a little money, but we're almost there. It's a problem with permitting. We got the permit from the city of Houston. city of Houston came back in, said, oh, sorry about that. We messed up, and they have stalled the project. And no matter what we do, we are struggling to get the permit. city of Houston has just stopped the whole thing. And um, our lay guy that oversees the whole thing is named Steve Marcelli. He did this kind of thing for a living for 30-something years, his entire career. And he said, guys, I want you to know something. I have never seen a project have as much difficulty as this project getting built by the city of Houston. He said, my entire career. He said, the only explanation that I have for why that is happening is that the enemy does not want us to build the building. Now, hold on to that. <clears throat> Let's talk about Sage Mont's past. John Morgan, Pastor John Morgan, for two years, pastor's church, he called the church, got a vision from the Lord to be a debt-free church. And then he called his people to get them out of debt. It's one of the neatest stories I've ever heard in my life of a church living on mission and they got out of debt and it's an amazing story. But let me ask you a question. Why do you think God called John Morgan to get Sagemont out of, out of debt? Like, why did God do that? Is it just for Sagemont? Is it just so that we could be blessed with no debt? Or do you think that maybe the vision God had for Sagemont's debt freedom is bigger than that? Because you see, the beauty of debt freedom is it takes a percentage of your budget that you would use to pay off a building loan and it allows you to get it into the fight. It allows you to get it into the kingdom for the glory of God. Right now, our budget is about 12 million bucks, a little bit over. Last year, we gave $700,000 to go outside the walls of our church into the kingdom, expansion kingdom, missions, local, foreign, all that. 6% of our budget out the door to help fill the Great Commission. That's pretty good. That is generous compared to a lot of churches. But here's what I believe God is calling us to do. I believe he's calling us to raise the bar. Now let me explain what I mean. When it comes to filling the Great Commission, there's two primary ways that each person and each church can be a part. <clears throat> the first way that you can help fulfill your great, uh, the Great Commission is to be a goer. A goer. This is somebody that goes to a foreign country. This is someone that goes to a crazy, unreached city in the U.S. to plant a church. This is someone that goes and they starts an organization to meet the needs of the kingdom. And so goers are people that go somewhere to fulfill the Great Commission. And look, here's the deal. God, look at me, everybody. God's calling some of you to be goers. You don't even know it yet, but God's gonna start moving in your heart. He's gonna call you somewhere to go and take the name of Christ to it. But not everybody's called to be a goer. 
You are called to go to your neighborhood. You are called, called to go to your, your school. You're called to go to your workplace, but not everybody's called to go to some crazy city or foreign country. And so the other way, everybody check this out. The other way that everybody else can engage fulfilling the Great Commission is not to be a goer, but to be what I like to call a mobilizer. A mobilizer is a person or a group of people that didn't necessarily go into some crazy place, but they're supporting They're funding, they're praying for, they're encouraging, and they're serving those that are going. At my former church, the Austin Stone, God did something I still can't believe that he did. We were a super young church, about 8,000 people last Sunday. I preached there, 8,300, and our average age was 27 years old. That is young, average age, 27. And over the last decade at the Austin Stone, We sent more goers, we sent more missionaries to unreached people groups all over the world than any other church in the United States of America. We were the number one, I'm saying this for a reason, not bragging, God did it, I couldn't have ever done it. We, We were the number one goer, missionary, sending church in the United States. Now that's amazing. What is God doing at Sagemont? I do think God's gonna call some of you to be goers somewhere. But I think because of our congregation um, is a little bit older on one end and we're growing like crazy with younger folks that are young families and that sort of thing, I don't think we're gonna become the largest missionary um, sending church in the United States. But here's what I'm convinced we can do and here's what I'm convinced God is calling us to do. I wanna become, and I believe we can become, the largest missionary mobilizing church in the United States of America. If you ever ask me what my vision of Sagemont is, that's it. I believe that God is calling us to take the debt freedom that God gave the previous generation and you and I together become the most generous mission funding, mission equipping, mission mobilizing church in the United States of America, number one. And here's how we get there. Last year, we sent 6% of our budget to mobilize ministries. With our new budget, I'm proposing to you and our finance team that we take that number from 6% to 10%, that we tithe off our budget next year. And so if our budget next year, let's say it's 13 million, we send $1.3 million, don't spend it on us, we spend it out those doors um, to make a big fat dent in the Great Commission, but we don't stop there. I'd like to propose raising that mission mobilization fund 2% every year for the next 10 years. And so if we did that in the year 2032, we'd be sending 30% of our budget outside the walls of the church to get in the fight for the glory of God. Now, if I was a betting man, I would say that by 2032, if we're all still here and the Lord hadn't come back yet, I would imagine that our budget, if I just had to bet, I'd say probably is gonna be around $30 million. That means that year alone, we would send $10 million outside the doors of this church to engage in the fulfilling of the Great Commission. Now, where's that money gonna go? Here's what I wanna do. Have y'all ever heard the phrase from Henry, Henry Blackaby where he said, you find out where God's moving and you join in? I love that. That's what we need to do. As a church... I'd like us to pray and fast together as a church and look locally and nationally and internationally and let's find out where God is pouring out his spirit and let's join in. Let's join in with $10 million worth of finances and let's join in with how many ever thousands of people and we become the largest mission mobilizing, funding, equipping, supporting ministry in this entire country. And if we'll do that, I, I, I am convinced God can do it because I've seen him do it with the, with the goers. I know he can do it here. And if we'll do that, we won't just be a church on mission, but we'll be one of those lion chasing, world changing, uh, hell's gate trampling kind of churches that will fire us up to be a part of. And guys, I can't think of a better way to spend the next 10 years of my life than trampling down the gates of hell. So let's end today. Thank you. That's the vision. So let's end today by me saying this. To show our seriousness about this vision, what if we got started today? Became aware a short time ago of a church right here in the city of Houston. It's called Fellowship Houston. It's led by Pastor, Pastor Vaughn. His last name's Juan. And uh, if you know him, you know he's amazing. 
He's an African-American man that is uh, an amazing guy. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of God. And uh, what God is doing in their church is unique. What's unique about it is a couple things. Number one, they're not in the suburbs. Number two, they're not in the rich part of downtown. They are in the urban core of Houston. And they are significantly impacting youth, urban youth, black, Latino, urban youth in the core of Houston. And what's that, that's the most unique thing about them is that they're doing something that only literally a handful of churches in the whole country are doing. They're actually reaching these young black and Latino folks. And it, missiologists will tell you that's one of the hardest demographics to reach is urban uh, kids, urban teenagers, urban young adults. And they're reaching them by the droves. Well, Pastor Vaughn and I have known each other for a long time. It's fascinating because Pastor... Vaughn was actually one of the kids that Pastor Chuck Snyder used to drive around the bus and he came to Sagemont, which is pretty cool. Um, and you'll see why that's even cooler here in a second. They've been meeting in this building. Um, they're packing it out. They need to expand. And so they're already kind of full. But then their landlord came to them and said, I need to sell the building. I'm gonna give you first right of refusal. I'm going to sell it to you for $250,000. Pastor Vaughn came to me and he said, Matt, I mean, we're a young congregation. We don't have that. And I totally get it. Man, I pastored a church, Austin Stone. We had a bunch of college kids. They were tithing Chick-fil-A gift cards, man. I mean, we didn't have any money. <laughs> and so I totally get it. I'm out. We don't have $250,000. Any way you guys could help. I, I, I felt his heart, because he said, man, if, if we don't come up with this, um, we're gonna have to move to Pasadena. It was his cousin that's got a church there and they were gonna open the doors to him. But he said, man, I don't know that those young folks are gonna drive all the way out to Pasadena to go to church. He goes, I'm afraid I'm gonna lose the momentum of what God is doing. So here's what I'm asking. In light of the fact that we're struggling to build our youth building, in light of the fact that there's a solid chance that um, that's happening or not happening because of the attack of Satan. What if this morning, right here, right now, we threw down the gauntlet and we said, all right, Satan. All right, Satan. You don't want us to build our youth building? Deal, we won't just build our youth building. We're gonna build two youth buildings. What if we did that? Right here, right here. You want to bow up? We're bowing back up. You don't want us to build one? We're going to build two, and we're going to do it today. And so what I'm proposing, that this morning, as a church, we raised $250,000 to help Fellowship Church Houston purchase their church and continue to reach those urban core kids like so few people are doing. Pastor Vaughn, would you bring your family up here real quick? I'll give you a Man, I love this guy. My very first pastor that reached out to me in the city of Houston, Texas, was this guy right here. We went to lunch, found out that he was a part of the bus ministry here at Sagemont <laughs> Church all those years ago. And now you're a pastor, tearing it up. So, man, why don't you introduce your family to us? How you guys doing? My name is Vaughn Wall, and uh, this is my beautiful wife, Kyla uh, McDuff. Her grandfather, John McDuff, pastored many years in Pasadena. Um, <clears throat> this is Zaire Kingston. Phoenix, and Ariana. So it's a blessing to be here. Thank you, Amen. guys. Amen. Amen. I'd like to knock this out. I'd like, I would like for us to come alongside what God is already doing through you, through your family, through your staff, through your church, the movement of God, and we just want to come alongside you and be a part of what God is doing so mightily through you. And so, man, it's such an honor to be on the stage with you. And, dude, we're so thankful for what God is doing in the city of Houston through you. And so I'd love to just pray for you Amen. and just pray for this group of people. And, um, and then we're going to clap, and then we're going to get this done. All right? So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this man and for his wife and for his kids. And I thank you for the way that you are... Um, raising them up in the urban core of Houston to reach a group of people that I could never reach, God. And Lord, I just thank you for his gifting. 
I thank you that, that they said yes to come to Houston. I've heard that story, and they didn't want to come to Houston, but you wanted them to come to Houston, and now we see why. And so, Lord, I just lift up Fellowship Houston to you. God, I pray that this is just the beginning of the way that you're going to use them in this city. I pray, God, that you would blow their doors off with people, with folks coming to Christ. Lord, and I pray that just, just to be the beginning of a revival of Fellowship Houston right here in this city. And Lord, thank you for allowing Sagemont Church to be a small part of it. God, we love you. And we ask these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother.